you don't have to go far to find ceremony. Taking a bucket of water to my chickens is a ceremony because we have this exchange of, you have the water, and I'm like, yes, I do, and you're happy to get the water from me, and it is, it is an exchange. Welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Cole Primo. And I'm your other host, Leah Lem. Miigwech for joining us. Native Lights is at its core a place for Native folks to tell their stories. Every week, we have great conversations with wonderful guests from a whole bunch of different backgrounds. And we talk to them about their gifts and how they share those gifts with their community. And it all centers around the big point of purpose in our lives. Another conversation today, another yeah. opportunity to amplify Native voices. I am psyched, gotta say. Yeah, the, the well never runs dry for never. people to talk to and to hear you know, all these great stories. So let's do this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Doing, yeah, I am great, but I'm really curious, Cole. I know you went to Hawaii and I want to hear a little oh, bit yeah. about it. Yeah, uh, very quick rundown. Uh, mm-hmm. We went to the big island for the first few days, checked out Volcanoes National Park, lots of great hiking, saw the magma spitting out and all that. And then we went to Maui and then stayed at a resort just north of Lahaina. And there we went on a catamaran ride, zip lining, saw a bunch of whales breaching all over the dang place. Oh. Um, it, was, it was a good time, a lot of beach time, you know. Mm. And uh, it was just crazy, you know, eating brunch or something and seeing whales popping out of the ocean, like no big deal, but it was great. Good times. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, times. I'm ready and raring to get going yeah, with our conversation today. So to start off, okay, I'm not going to to withhold this any longer. We are talking to musician, artist, self-described queen of the side hustle, Ooh. Annie Humphrey, as a vocalist myself, hearing her sing, it just goes right to my core. Yeah, it's powerful. when she sings, it's like I'm transported. So let's start off by playing a bit of the title track from her 2019 album, Eat What You Kill. It is what the title describes eating what you kill, being grateful. Um, really cool tune. Here you go. You mock my child's wisdom And you crush it under your heel The least you could do Is eat what you kill Something in you is satisfied See the defeat in their eyes Get ready, cause I'll be there in a while You can pick on someone your own size I eat what I kill Alright, that was a bit of Annie Humphrey's tune, Eat What You Kill, off of her album, Eat What You Kill, from 2019. Lots of great tunes on that. And we'll play another one towards the end, but I wanted to give you a little taste of that. So yeah, Annie Humphrey lives up here 
in the great northern Minnesota region. She grew up on the Leech Lake Indian Reservation, uh, not too far away. Um, She's a grandma, mom, partner, and of course, musician, artist. And there's this local art gallery. (laughs) Every once in a while, I'll see something really cool in it and I'll ask, you know, the executive director there would be like, oh, wow, what's that? She's like, Annie Humphrey made that. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, she just, Annie just does so many cool things. Um, Visual art, audio art. So anyway, Annie Humphrey's here. All right, let's talk. My name is Annie Humphrey, and I am joining you from uh, Deer River, Minnesota, on Leech Lake. Great, great. Um, we always like to ask how you're doing. You know, how's the family doing? Oh, my gosh. The family is good. I got a big family. So um, my grandsons are here now, and um, one of my daughters is almost graduating, graduating high school, and my other daughter is graduating from the carpentry program at the Tribal College. And my son, I'm not really sure where he is, but yeah, we're we're doing good. We stay busy. Can you give us maybe a bit of an overview of what you do and how you spend your time? Oh my gosh, you guys. So I do a lot of things and I spend my time in a lot of ways. Okay, so how I spend my day, you guys. I get up early. I have chickens, so I got to give my chickens water and I have a little rabbit and so I'm gathering eggs. And so the morning is like that. It's, it's coffee and then animals. And I tell people, it, you don't have to go far to find ceremony. I feel like taking a bucket of water to my chickens is a ceremony because we have this exchange of, you have the water. And I'm like, yes, I do. And you're happy to get the water from me. And it, it's, it is an exchange. And then I have school myself. I'm taking, I've been a carpentry student now for a couple of years myself. I'm not after a degree because I'm an elder and they know I just want to learn stuff. So I have class a couple of days a week. I have a little piano room. I'm getting ready to make a record. I'm building a a hemp house. We started it yesterday and I have my grandsons a lot and, you know, playing with them. And yeah, I just... It's a lot, but I have a really fun, fun existence. That's amazing. Very cool. I I can't wait to hear more about all of that. To kind of kick us off, what is important to you right now? What's at the top of your mind? Well, what is at the top of my mind today is OSB plant. They're proposing to build it in Cohasset. It's like seven miles up the road. Biggest OSB plant in America. So we organized against it a few months back. The Army Corps of Engineers shut it down, but then it came back and three judges voted unanimously that building a campus that size, it's not a camp, it's a mill, a quarter mile from Mississippi, is it doesn't need an environmental impact statement. It doesn't need, it, and it's not gonna alter the environment, you know, cutting down, besides the state's 800,000 cords a year, this plant would need 400,000 more cords from our, the radius of, you know, leech lake. I mean, all the reservations are in the radius of cutting. So right now I'm trying to figure out, you know, how to fight the windmill. Uh, I mean, just before I talked to you guys, I talked to Duluth, the Duluth TV is talking about it. So I'm glad people are talking about it again. 
it happened so fast the first time. And it was a deal between the political parties that it came here in the first place. And, and there was this other thing passed where the specifically the Huber Mill is exempt from environmental impact statements. So just sort of to kind of pull that apart a bit, OSB stands for Oriented Strand Board, <laughs> and it's just basically engineered wood. Yeah, like subfloor, there's sheets of subfloor. So I'm taking carpentry, right, you guys, and I'm building a hemp house because using building a hemp house, you don't need OSB. So I'm just trying to, like, not just talk about it, but, and I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, Cohasset's a little town and that's where they would build the plant and they're offering them 158 new jobs. And I'm certain the people from Cohasset aren't going to be the ones really doing the jobs. They're probably coming in from their other plants for the high paying jobs or, you know, I'm not even sure. I don't want to talk bad about that, but I know that these small towns that need to, you know, they need help because there's not much of an economy in these little towns and I get that. So I just want to build a hemp house and show people we can build really good Minnesota homes and cut way back on the use of this thing you want to make more of, but it's going to take a few generations. I'm not, I know this is going to happen overnight and I know that we're not going to, it's hard. It's hard to make people shift. It's hard to get them to shift and it's hard it's really big. That's why it's in my mind because it's so big and I don't I'm still trying to get it straight and come up with a effective plan. Well, I'm so glad you're working on this Annie. Um and the news has been changing with updates to the Huber Mill plan to come to Cohasset and the latest is now that the mill has pulled from the plans. But these issues keep coming up and it sounds like you're demonstrating how we can do building, we can do construction in a more sustainable way. Yes. Yeah. But people got to see it, right? People have to, they have to see it to believe it. And um, um, I think we can do it. I think it's going to take a while, but I think we can do it. I don't know if we can do it in time. I mean, we got to keep this, this mill at bay because I truly believe that it'll change the landscape of our treaty territory. It will change it. I I think about the Lorax and I think about the truffle trees and how there's none left. And I think that is a real possibility if, if, if they're just let, let go, you know, and um, where I tap my trees, you know, the kind of trees they're after grow amongst my maple trees and, they're not going to selectively cut between the maples, you know? So I worry I'll go there one day and it'll be gone. And then I'll really be mad. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're speaking with Annie Humphrey, musician, artist, and generous community member. She lives in northern Minnesota, and today we're talking about her life, her work and music. I'm I'm curious about the hemp house uh, project. Like, is that a full full house or is it like a small house or what? Can you talk about the hemp house? I think it's important that we have smaller house plans and smaller house designs for people to choose from. I think that we have our homes are really big right now, and um, you know, the bigger they are, the more they consume, right? So you 
you have to heat it and cool it. So with hemp, hemp eliminates the need for like four man-made materials, the, the house wrap, you know, and that takes oil and stuff to make and, and the sheetrock and, and siding and the OSB because it's just hemp. It's just, it's just, it's just the, and the herd is the woody stock inside the hemp plant. It's almost like a byproduct of, of it after people have taken the fiber and everything else they want. So hemp is like a buffalo, right? We, we even use what they don't want, that, that wood in the middle. And we mix it with water and lime and it binds it and it turns it into a, there's a, like ventilation. And even after the hemp is in a wall, it still sequesters carbon. And, and one acre of hemp pulls more carbon out of the air than an acre of trees. Hmm. So you got to wait 30 years to harvest trees, but hemp is 70 days. So well, I really think that it's it's the future and it could save the economy of, of a lot of these little towns that need it. Not to mention it's, it's going to be, it is a more sustainable way to build. You know, we don't have to deforest and it doesn't catch on fire. You, you can't burn, you can't, you could hold a, a torch to a hemp wall and it's not going to catch on fire. And you could have a flood. You have a flood and it's not going to, like sheetrock, you would replace sheetrock if you have a flood in your house. This, this, the water goes away, it dries itself, there's no mold and it's, you don't got to replace anything. So I'm building, I'm, we started the house, the floor yesterday, and we're framing it in, in the next couple of weeks and we'll, and I'm also, I'm the one paying for it. And it's, it's a project for my class, me and my classmates. So we're building it indoors in this huge building that I actually helped build at the tribal college. And um, we're building it now and I'm not rich. So I'm using found windows and we're going to take some old sliding glass doors and flip them horizontal on the South facing wall. And it's going to be like a cheap, we're going to see how cheaply we can build it because people can't afford, we're in a housing crisis as well. It's just a mess. You mentioned it's kind of like the Buffalo using all the parts, being very efficient. And that, to me, has themes that are reminiscent of your album, Eat What You Kill. Mm -hmm. Can you maybe tell us a bit about that album? Mm -hmm. And what are the themes of it? And what motivated you um, in your creation of that album? You know, eat what you kill, it's literal, but it's also like accountability. Eat what you kill. Apologize if you hurt somebody. It's just accountability. Now my son wouldn't like this, but he he shot a deer and he kept saying, Yeah, mom, I'm gonna I'm gonna clean it. I'm I'm I say you better get the weather's getting kind of warm. You need to take care of that deer. And he kept saying, Yeah, I'm going to. I just got this going on. I'm gonna, gonna, gonna. And I remember that that deer went bad. And he felt really bad. He felt really um, ashamed. And I was, as a mom, like, yeah, you should learn your lesson. You know, you shouldn't have did that. I was trying to tell you. But then the spirits reminded me, remember that time after Sugarbush, I had this, I had a big pail of syrup left. The last I'd been canning, I was getting sick of canning. I had that last big bucket of syrup. And I kept looking at it. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to can that. I'll can it tomorrow for sure. And you know what? I let that big bucket of syrup that represented gallons and gallons of sap and a whole bunch of wood and a fire. I mean, you know, and it went bad and I had to 
had to have a little ceremony and put it back on the earth. But I went to my son and said, yeah, I did it too. I said, but the, the good thing is you'll never do it again. I will never do that again. And you will never do that again. So it takes us to mess up, you know, to, to learn and to never want to feel like that again. So for those of you who've never wasted your syrup or let a deer go bad, bless your hearts. <laughs> yeah, there's usually something though. But the record too. So, okay, to go back to that, it, I think it dealt, I named it Eat What You Kill because the that first song was actually about something that took place for my daughter in her school. And she went to school in Grand Rapids. And um, the social studies teacher wanted current events. And so my daughter, and this is years ago, and she said, Standing Rock. And he said, well, that's not a current event. Because they had just like plowed the camp over a few weeks before. And it was like a done, it was done, it was gone. But it was new, very new gone. But I remember that that was her current event. But he was accepting like the viral YouTube tube stuff and some sports things and and he wouldn't he didn't want to accept that and he went so far as to tell her you know to explain that explain why you think it's a current event when he accepted the sports stuff and the youtube stuff and and she told me i didn't know what to say i said well you're 13 years old put on the spot in front of a class where you barely speak anyway and so that was really that was really mean and so i went to the school and i talked to the principal and um and then I was able to speak to that teacher. And he said she tried to write a report on Standing Rock and he gave her a bad grade and said she didn't cite any resources or references, references. And she said, Mom, because I'd been there, we were we were there and I, I saw what happened and we talked to people and, and you know, and I, I thought, yeah, you were there, man. Why do you got to cite references when you were at this event? You know? Anyway, Eat What You Kill, that song is about that. And then. And then it got bigger. I think I talked to about in that same song about the great lie, the great lie, which is some people are better than others, you know. Yeah. So Eat What You Kill was, it turned into accountability thing for, for me and for all of us to be careful what you say and what you don't say and what you do and don't do. Can we step back just a little bit and talk more about, you know, what set you on the journey with your music, like, uh, what inspired you to uh, set down that path? Um, welfare reform. I was a young mother, and we were on welfare. <laughs> what do they call it today? Welfare and food stamps, whatever they call it now. Like SNAP or EBT? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were on that, and we were getting, like, $324 a month, and then food stamps, and I had two kids, and um, welfare reform, they start talking about that in, um, let me see how old my kids were, 90, 96, you know, late 90s. Like they're going to they're gonna start to, um, they wanted to sanction women if they weren't like actively seeking employment. But I really wasn't because I had two little, little bitty kids and didn't want them to go to daycare. But there was a lot of changes coming. And I had to think of a way that I could be with my kids and... You know, if they were going to kick me off, I had to have find a way. You know, if they're going to kick me off for not looking for a job to put my kids in daycare, I had to find a way to make money and be with my kids. And so that's when I start. I, I remember I took my guitar. Well, I called this coffee house. I was living in Grand Forks. Took my guitar and Giza's and Justice, they were both really, well, Giza was still an infant carrier and Justice was little, barely walking. 
And they let me play at this coffee shop for two hours for $35 plus tips. And so that's what I did. I went there and then I got a little gig for $150 for the Indian um, Native Studies students at the college in Grand Forks. Got 150 bucks there. And so pretty soon I, I, I was committing welfare fraud, right? I was getting some little money, but still getting my 324 which, by the way, to put that in perspective, the pets at the White House's living allowance is higher than a family of three at that time. And so when I heard that, I didn't feel bad anymore about, you know, making a little extra money. So that went on for a while where I was I would play out little. I remember like where people weren't even listening. You're sitting there playing songs and they're not even listening. They're like, right. Yeah. And it's like. Yeah. I would tell my mom, I hate doing this, mom, because she'd help me with my kids sometimes. And she'd say, Annie, just think of it as your humiliation money. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, so we would do that. And yeah, that, that went on for a while. Um, and then I remember one day I was living in Cass Lake at these townhouses. And I said a little prayer that went kind of like this. It was like, if I can make more than my $325 in a month playing music, then I will close my case and I will just do music because that's what creator wants me to do. And like a couple months later, I got a little offer to play at the Ordway in St. Paul and they're going to pay me $400. So I wow. thought I better keep my better, keep my promise or something bad yeah. will happen to me. <laughs> so I called and I said, I want to close my, my welfare case. And they said, did you find employment? I said, no, not really, but I want to close my case. And they said, do you want to keep your food stamp? I said, mm, no, I just really got to close my case. So I did. And I didn't make $400 the next month, but I just stayed that course. That was my inspiration. And that's how I became a musician. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today, we're speaking with Annie Humphrey, musician, artist, and generous community member. She lives in northern Minnesota, and today we're talking about her life, her work, and music. Well, you mentioned doing a fundraiser, and you do those a bit. Um, fundraisers, I know I've seen you, <laughs> your name in lights for different um, causes, and I know we were put in touch, particularly for this time. I know you've been I, I I always love interviewing you, Annie, so I knew Native Lights would come up someday. Um, but ACO, the American mm-hmm. Indian Community Housing Organization, has a fundraiser coming up in April for a really great bit of work that they're doing. They're doing a domestic violence shelter expansion. Is there any particular motivation or reason that you want to make sure to be involved in this? Yeah, I think there are a lot of mothers and women out there who are just trying to eat and have shelter. And if you are concentrating on only eating and having shelter and feeding your kids and, and, and that is your everyday concern, if that's where you're at, and I, and I know what it's like being there every day, then, then the other stuff, the self-fulfillment, the dreams, you know, that that never gets thought about because you're constantly thinking about food and shelter and clothing, you know. So I feel like if there's anything that can be done to give give a woman and her kids a, a leg up so that they can 
go to the next level and think about their dreams. You know what I mean? So if there's nothing left at the end of the day, because you're doing all this stuff down here, then there's nothing left at the end of the day to, to give to your dreams, you know? Wow. Thanks for sharing that, Annie. Um, Yeah. It's super important work. The last concert I went to before the pandemic was you, Annie, with playing with Keith Sakola up here in Grand Rapids. It was for the Indian education here in Grand Rapids. And oh yeah. You, yeah. Um, and got like days before there was a state like stay-at-home order. You gave a really powerful introduction to the tune Give Us Life. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my favorite tunes. And I want to make sure to play that tune at the end of this conversation. Do you mind telling us about the song and maybe give us a bit of that introduction? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, that's my grandson Zane's favorite song, Give Us Life. Give us life, give us life. He's sitting down there looking at me through the oh. door. Um, yes, that song... See, we have this talk, me and the grandkids, because they always say, Grandma, how old will you be when I have kids? Or Grandma, are you going to still be around when I'm growing up? I'm like, yeah, man, I'm going to be like 90. By the time I'm, you're going to be gray yourself before I'm ever going anywhere. And it reminded me of a story my mom told, and she said that we die three times. And the first time we die is when our body just stops working. And the second time we die is when our body goes after the earth and our physical body is now part of something else. The third time we die is when the ones that knew us stop talking about us and they don't tell stories about us or say our name anymore. And so I remember in the song, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if like we kept our Indian names in our families and we keep recycling our Indian names to someone in the next generation. So that's what we've started doing because I feel like, yeah, in about a hundred years, somebody's going to, say Mamadoyashka and say their prayer and that's me and they're going to be you know giving me life by using my name you know and at the end of our life how we are buried with moccasins and I remember my cousin Terry after my grandma passed Terry said I had a dream that grandma's moccasins were floating back over the river you know and it's like, so that's part of the song too that they'll take their moccasins they'll take off our moccasins and leave them behind and they'll float back across for our children to find. So, you know, it was just like, we go on. And so people who wonder, is there life after death? Well, hell yeah, there is. Whether you believe it or not, there is life after death. And if you want people to tell good stories about you, then live in a good way. And if you want them to tell horrible stories about you, then just be a horrible person. They'll grow old and go to the river. We'll meet them there and swim across it together. They'll take off their moccasins and leave them behind. And they'll float back across for their children to find. They'll give us life, they'll give us life, give us life. They'll give us life and we won't die a third time. Thank you to Annie Humphrey, 
We also have information on our website about the upcoming American Indian Community Housing Organization's fundraiser for the domestic violence shelter expansion there in Duluth on April 6th. I'm Leah Lem. I'm Cole Primo. Miigwech for listening. Gigawabaman. Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.